Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts is a brand new and unique store, boutique-styled retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products where Wicked and cannabis cultures come together for a rather unique atmosphere. They're located on 185 Worcester Street, right next to Subway and Hertz Rental Car. Their hours of operation are Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., and they can be contacted at 508-545-8105. They are closed on Sundays, and you can also reach them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. encounter with a supernatural weapon. Each day, each mystery, each encounter will ultimately reveal her true destiny. Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast, the podcast dedicated to all the canceled television series in the sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comic book genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we are starting the television series coverage of Witchblade as we did the movie, made-for-TV movie, which is not the pilot. Two different things. Um, So this is the first episode of the ongoing two seasons of Witchblade, which we will be covering. So hopefully you checked out our fantastic interview with writer Ron Mars, and we are going to now delve deep into the TV series, which is a lot of fun. Um, This episode I have mixed feelings on. I kind of forgot the pilot isn't (laughs) as good as the rest of the series, but... They can't all be winners. I mean, the movie, I think the pilot movie, the the, ah, the made-for-TV movie is better than Parallax. I just wasn't as big a fan of Parallax as I remember it to be. So, but uh, we, got, we got the episode synopsis and Mr. Zeneca's thoughts about it. <laughs> I actually didn't really like this episode either. Okay. But we'll get, we'll get into it here. Parallax, uh, Witchblade, Season 1, originally aired June 12, 2001. Detective Sarah Pizzini is slowly learning more about the Witchblade. She also finds herself before a hostile review board as they try to piece together what happened at the Rialto Theater. She is saddened to learn that her mentor, Captain Joe Suri, is retiring and he leaves her something from her father. When Sarah and her new partner, Jake McCartney, answer a call to a shooting scene, they learn of a now-defunct secret military program to create assassins known as the Black Dragons. One of the remaining dragons, Hector Mobius, seems to be on the rampage and whom is planning to target the shady Kenneth Irons and his shadowy right-hand man Ian Nottingham, whom continues to give Sarah dubious advice on how to access the Witchblade, while Sarah's deceased former partner, Danny Wu, continues to... Yeah, that's the synopsis. <laughs> and 
I want to point out this episode was uh, directed by Ralph Hemmecker, who is on a lot of these episodes, and he's a longtime television show producer who has also currently worked on The Flash and Arrow, which is like in the cups of like just explosion right now because of the recently ended The Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, which was the giant crossover between all the different shows. But uh, Ron Mars, you know, worked for Witchblade. He also worked on Green Lantern. And Parallax kind of is the name of a character that Hal Jordan would become. And Ron Mars um, was partially responsible for that. Man, oh man. When sales on a book are in the toilet and they're going to cancel it, you need to do something to revitalize it. And Ron Mars did it, and people were pissed at him. And I didn't want to bring it up last week with him on the show because he gets a lot of that. But what he did to a character that had been around since the mid-50s, holy cow. I mean, this was DC's big way of, like, redoing stuff or whatever. And that's why Ron, when Ron Mars came on to Witchblade, it, it really turned the book around in a lot of ways because Witchblade's sales were in a slump. And Ron Mars coming on, he was a hotshot writer, in my opinion still is, but uh, he was a hotshot writer off of Marvel and DC, and he came on to this, you know, their flagship title to turn it around, and he did. And uh, The longevity alone uh, just proves that he, the success of his writing. Right, and by the way... He captured the audience after that. Ralph worked on 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 11, 12 episodes of Witchblade, but what other television series has Ralph worked on that we've talked about? And in fact, it was... The very beginning of this podcast. <laughs> oh, which one? Kindred the Embraced. He directed two episodes. Romeo and Juliet and Cabin wow. in the Woods. I did not put that together. I'm not a big, as big a fan of Cabin in the Woods, mainly because the show kind of ends on that episode, but I'm a bigger fan of Romeo and Juliet. That was between the Bruja and the Gangrel characters. Yes, I remember. That was a good episode. It was a nice little uh, arc there. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, what's fun is that Ralph directed the episodes that Brock that oh I, I just I can't contain my excitement. He directed the episodes Trickster, which was the episode that returned Mark Hamill to the role of the trickster from the 1990s Flash TV series that he played as the villain on John Wesley Ship Show. Ooh. And John Wesley Ship was on the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. In fact. But uh, this episode's got some great uh, guest stars in it, one of which, a longtime actor, too, by the way, who's been in multiple things like Resident Evil 300, both 300 movies. That is Peter Mensah, Mensah, M-E-N-S-A-H. Correct, and again. Probably butchering that. Avatar, Jason X. Um, he was actually the uh, the guy who killed Jason in that movie. He was Q... Q, Q oh, man, I cannot say his name. It's Q-O-V-A-S in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and he was also on Sleepy Hollow. He was in a couple of the Scorpion King movies. He was Predaking on Transformers Prime. He was on True Blood... Uh, the guy has been working for a very long time, and I always love seeing him in uh, different stuff. And he's currently on Departure, which is a TV series, I believe, that's, I think, still on the air or not. Nice. Long history there. I thought he was being chased by Sarah while this techno music plays, but no, it's actually Ian Nottingham. And, they, and we find out they happen to be part of the same unit called the Black Dragons. Now, do we have any actual information about Black Dragons, or was that made up for the show? That was made up for the show. Okay. I do have some information on that painting that basically Mobius is meditating in front of. That is a very famous painting that was also in uh, the movie Red Dragon, a Hannibal Lecter series. So um, if you'll give me a moment here. Uh, wait, wait, it was in the movies or it was in the television series? It was in the movie, Red Dragon, 2002, and that, which is basically a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Oh, interesting. 
this was also referenced in uh, as uh, King Ghidorah in the movie uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, the one that was out just recently. So huh. they compare King Ghidorah to this particular painting, Monster. That's so interesting. This painting, is <laughs> this painting is actually called The Great Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed in Sun. It's a watercolor that's actually part of a series to depict uh, images from the Book of Revelations. So the others in the set, and so all, all four of them are The Great Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed in Sun, The Great Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed with the Sun, the Great Red Dragon and the Beast from the Sea, and the number of the Beast is 666. So all four of those are, were basically made by William Blake uh, between 1803 to 18, uh, 1805. They're uh, very small. They're only about 17 inches by 13 and a half inches tall on, on this particular painting. This painting depicts a, a one particular uh, phrase in Revelation. And behold, the great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to earth. That's Revelation 12, 3 to 4. So this is a very famous painting, and, and why they chose this painting for the focus point for Mobius, I'm hoping point, or they're just doing it because it looks like a badass painting. I think they just yeah. did it because it looks like a badass painting. Sarah has to... Um, this takes place a few weeks after the events of the, of the made-for-TV movie, and Sarah has a uh, deposition before IA run by a guy named Dante who tells her that her longtime father figure and captain, uh, Joe, is retiring, and Dante is going to become captain of the police force, which is going to make Sarah's life a hell of a lot harder because a guy who goes from IA to captain of the police force is definitely on the lookout for every single mistake you're ever going to make, and he already does not like Sarah Pizzini, especially considering her, her partner got killed. And the prime suspect, multi-crime, multi ta- you know, um, the, the head of a crime ward uh, got killed. And that guy should have been under police protection and wasn't. And it all it, everything just keeps going back to Sarah Pizzini, unfortunately. So this is going to make Sarah's life really hard. Yeah, because uh, there's a lot about that crime scene that she is not actually willing to state. You know, they found traces of an uh, of an unknown metal there. Uh, bodies looked like they'd been slashed by a blade. No blades found. They found 23 guns, something like that. Uh, so a lot of the pieces don't add up. And her story is like, if I was internal investigations, like I would have completely called bullshit on whatever story she's telling me. The evidence just is not looking good for her. That really sucks, um, especially considering that we know the origin of the Witchblade, which at this point was not in the comic books yet, but the Witchblade has other earthly uh, origins. It may not necessarily be extraterrestrial, because it's of two godlike things. The Angelus and the Darkness are not exactly, I would say, from Earth, but they're not exactly alien either. They're definitely of the dimension of where gods kind of live, i.e. like Thor and Jehovah and, you know, the Hindu one. You know, they're all, they're all, they all hang out for poker and stuff like that and laugh at us mortals. Kind of like ethereal beings. Right. So when it, it, it's... When they say it's not of earthly origin or that it's, it's, you know, unknown metal, you know what I mean? Probably means it doesn't just show up in the periodic tables, but who knows? Because, unfortunately, the show just never got into the origin of the Witchblade beyond us just showing where it comes from 
in the context of the show. So, but uh, that's mm-hmm. tabled for another episode. As there is episodes coming up that will get super duper weird in the flashback stuff. Um, Danny is a ghost, and he shows up, and Ian's still hunting the dude. And there's also music playing, and Sarah chases him on a motorcycle in 30 million cutscenes once again that look like the Matrix because that's exactly what they parody when they do the bullet time, which sucks. Jesus Christ! I mean, I, they did a long bullet time. Uh, sequence. And then Sarah puts herself in even more hot water because the guy grabs uh, Jake's gun and then Sarah kills him in front of like how many people? Yeah, he's laying there on the stretcher, steals the gun, she shoots him directly into the forehead, he says some last words even though you really couldn't do that, yeah. Uh, He says some last words and so she basically murders him there because, but she would be known as justified because he did pull a gun out of a holster. Uh, but there's no other way to subdue him, supposedly, because they're right next to him on the stretcher. But her first instinct is just shoot first. Yeah, that's a little... Uh, but, I mean, he was going to pull the trigger, too, so... A little bit of monkey see, a little bit of sorry, a little bit of from column A, a little bit from column B. But, hey, you know what? She's friends with, like, the Lex Luthor of this show, who happens to be also one step below... Um, in this, I don't know if in this world certain real figures like Donald Trump, who would be living in New York at this time, exist or not, but uh, she is friends with uh, Mr. Irons. I mean, I'm sure he's got some decent lawyers on his payroll. Oh, I'm sure he could get her out of any predicament. And he's not, like, outwardly I, I saying, hey, he's I... asking to take her under his wing. Sleep with me and I'll give you what you want about the Witchblade. He's never saying that. He's just like, come away with me. I'm very rich and I'm very handsome and you're very attractive and I'm very attractive. Well, he puts it like, you know, come with me, I'll teach you all about the Witchblade, you know, come under my wing. And she's extremely hesitant about that because she's a strong, independent woman. <laughs> and she doesn't feel that she really needs all the answers to the Witchblade all at once, I suppose. Yeah, she's just like, I'm asexual and not interested in you. Also, your hair is way too <laughs> platinum for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested in your penis. Yeah, and if I really needed it, I have this uh, little puppy dog following me around as my partner. <laughs> Uh, Jake, and in this episode, like, Jake is doing kind of some sneaky stuff. You know, he says he doesn't have front order access, and yet he is accessing CIA files. I can't imagine what plot line is going to come up with Jake McCarthy involving Dante very, very soon. So that's all I'm going to say. Danny visits Sarah as a ghost again, and then Jake starts going over the Black Dragons organization, which, have you ever seen the movie The Man Who Stare at Goats? No. I no. highly recommend it. It's a kind of a mixed bag. It stars Ewan McGregor and um, George Clooney, and it's based on the true story of the uncovered documents about the CIA messing around with, like, X-Men-style t- psychic powers. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's kind of what Jake is talking about with Sarah. Of course, Sarah mentions uh, what's going to rot your brain? South Park reruns, which <laughs> is very relevant because South Park started in 1997. Yeah, and it's still on, you know, but... Uh, she said that, I'm like, all right, this is instantly dating the, the series. Right. Ian saves Sarah, calls Sarah, saves Sarah, has Sarah get off the bike or whatever, following Sarah around. I mean, is he under orders from Kenneth, uh, from uh, Kenneth Irons to just, like, always be in the shadows and stalk her very creepy-like in an age, day and age that would get you arrested? Or is he doing this on his own? I mean, it, it would just be so much easier if he would just lay it out for Sarah. Well, you know, Kenneth Iron says that he doesn't micromanage, so 
this could actually just be Ian's little crutches that he's going that extra mile to be extra creepy. Do you think that, um, so Sarah and Jake find Mobius's lair and she finds some 2001 Google Glasses, which didn't exist because Google wasn't even invented until 2003. <laughs> or she finds Oculus Rift, which wasn't invented until 2017. So <laughs> No, they were projection glasses. Right, that's Google Glasses, by the way. I have a pair sitting at home right now. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Do you watch videos just like that on yours? Do I watch kinky no. anime hentai with my Google glasses? I haven't tried yet, but God, can you imagine what it'd be like to be inside a hentai cartoon with those things? You know somebody in Japan has come up with hentai virtual reality. Oh, definitely. Definitely. As long as, as, long as humans have been in existence, we have found ways to... Masturbate. ...have sexual contact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what she watches is some, like, horrific anime scenes. And I couldn't... I didn't have a chance to, like, slow it down, but I would love to know what all the different images were in that. But we would be here all day dissecting the, the flash the flashes that she witnesses. And I'm not a strong yeah. enough anime fan to really even figure out what the hell those images were from. Yeah, I really couldn't tell you. I am so not into anime. And I looked, yeah. and I looked, and unfortunately there is not enough, like, fan site stuff to break down this episode out there, unfortunately. I, I, that, unfortunately, was also a big fail to find any information. Yeah, there's a, a lot lacking on the Witchblade series. I was scouring YouTube just for some background information or for, from some interviews, and I found a couple, but there's not a lot. No, again, the the show being canceled after two seasons and Witchblade not being big in the pop ki- pop culture eyegeist right now probably has deterred any fans. I mean, the Witchblade group that I joined on Facebook, nobody posts on it. So, you know, uh, it's just one of those independent comics that's just not getting the uh, the traction yet. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. Again, this being the 25th anniversary, um, I thought it was funny that her that everyone's using flip phones. There is the there's the fight between a flamethrower and the witchblade, which turns into the flaming sword, kind of like the guy in Game of Thrones who would like the flaming sword. Exactly, exactly, and and the flaming sword is also a very biblical reference as well. You know, it's like an archangel with a flaming sword. So, yeah, it, it has a lot of callbacks there. Was that a big thing back in the Middle Ages? What flaming swords? Mm-hmm. It, it's just an icon. It, you wouldn't really do it in battle because that would be kind of stupid. But, uh, yeah, it, it's basically a symbolism. When Mobius... Uh, basically, this episode has a lot of strobes. Mobius basically takes out Ian using strobe lights and tones, like auditory tones. Takes him out and uses his retinas... Uh, to enter the area of, of Kenneth Irons, and then when they both come into the to the room, you know, Mr. Irons just kind of greets, "Hello, boys. I've been expecting you," type of thing. Um, because he's you know, doing he's, he's basically the head of the project. Yeah, but the entire time in this scene, Kenneth Irons reminds me mostly of this guy. I have foreseen it. His compassion for you will be his undoing. He will come to you, and then you will bring him before me. I'm looking forward to completing your training. In time, you will call me Master. Oh no, my young Jedi. 
he definitely comes across as the emperor more, especially trying to get like Sarah. He, and again, he's not getting trying to get into Sarah's business sexually. He just he he wants Sarah as a weapon because she has the witchblade, and he can't have the witchblade because he is a dude. In the comic books right now, and I think it's been completed, Stepan Sedgwick, the author of the Sunstone comic books that I do the audiobook series on, and the former artist of the Witchblade, created a comic book called Switch, in which the Witchblade could be worn by a man. Nothing to do with being transgender. Nothing to do with, you know, gender swapping stuff. In a way, I guess he kind of did. But, yeah, the Witchblade can be worn by a male. Cool, yeah. I guess it really would depend on what exactly the Witchblade is really looking for. I'm assuming you know, I, I, like knew that. I mean, huh? I, I'm assuming it's going to be like a fierce warrior and a cop in the 21st century next to a soldier would be the fiercest warrior. Or maybe just someone with an intense need for justice and to set things right. Who knows? Right. I just don't... Well, here's the thing, though. Of all the people that bear the Witchblade, none of them are ever depicted as doctors or paramedics or, well, priests are subjective. I mean, at one point, every priest had to pick up a sword. You know what I mean? It's always going to be a warrior, a cave woman. The, 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 well, I mean, it, it is kind of a weapon-like a ruler. thing. Yeah. Sense and weapon. Yeah, a ruler, you know, uh, a warrior, a warrior queen, you know, something like that. Someone who commands armies, someone who commands power and attention. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, because they sometimes depict them as being like, you know, princesses, but a princess could also be a combat princess. You know what I mean? Her father, her, yeah. her parents, her mother, whatever. Somebody could have trained her in the art of the sword. Um, you know, ru- the last person depicted in the comics that we saw, at least in one form, was a Russian soldier. So, during World War II. So, mm-hmm. and the second person to wear the witchblade after Sarah was dancer. She, but she was also the daughter of a cop. Um, she was actually Sarah's, uh, the daughter of Sarah's boss. And then the third person, who is the the last person to wear it, the one that we were talking about last week, she is a social worker. The first thing you think about when you think of a warrior. No, but it would seem that a social worker would have a high level of empathy and a sense of justice needed in that job, um, protection of the innocent. You know, all of those are very, you know, honorable traits. Correct. And so maybe that, you know, if, if we knew precisely what the Witchblade is looking for, then we would better understand that, you know, who that Witchblade might be attracted to versus, oh, it's just got to be a girl. You know, that... Yeah, you know, no, it definitely is. You can't just be a girl because... They tried the Witchblade on women in the comics every once in a while, and it kills them or rips their arm off or something because they're not worthy. You know what I mean? And you're um, not worthy. No, I mean I'm sorry. You're just you're not. It's not everyone can have the Force. Not everyone can wear the Witchblade. You know what I mean? Not just because you're a woman can you wear the Witchblade. It's it's going to kill you. You have to be worthy of it. You know what I mean? It, it's really ambiguous how they play with that. You know what I mean? When Sarah's lost it a couple times. So, again, Danny got it because Sarah was pregnant at the time with the Darkness's child. And that's why the Witchblade kind of splits off from her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's explained very well because she has the child of the darkness inside her. That kind of upsets the Witchblade in a way. The balance is upset. So that that was all Ron Mars's, you know, gr- brilliant writing. Mm-hmm. Iron's acts like the Emperor. Ian's his loyal little puppy dog. Yeah, we, one thing that was really confusing me about that final scene uh, where the uh, Mr. Irons is talking with Mobius is that they're talking in alliterations. They're talking in you know, symbolism, playing chess at the same time. 
and I'm I was just wondering whether I needed to you know write all of that down and reference it because th these are important points of forewarning to the audience uh, for events to to come into the future. You know, if we actually find any of these that that gets the point across for all the these little tiny bit of symbolic meaningless sentences, I'll come back to this episode and rewatch it. But that was supremely confusing to me as to like what was going on in that conversation. Yeah, some things are always a little weird on this show. Uh, that's what makes it interesting, and that's what sometimes can make it really confusing. And we got more episodes like that coming up um, with this show sometimes. So. This episode did not have one of Gabriel's little insights about what's going on with the Witchblade. I think that excuse me, I think that character gets introduced in the next episode or not introduced till season two. I can't remember again because it's been like years since I've watched this thing. Well, something to look forward to. Joel Goldsmith is the composer for the music for this episode as well as most of the music for the show, and he's worked from 1978 to 2012. Um, unfortunately, died of cancer in 2012. He also worked on the music for um, Star Trek First Contact, Stargate SG-1, the TV series, Stargate mm -hmm. The Ark of Truth, Continuum, Universe. So he worked a lot in the Stargate universe, which is fantastic. Um, that's why his music sounds so familiar. The uh, the Steve Martin comedy, The Man with Two Brains, if you've ever seen that movie. I love that one. Yeah. love that one. And one of my favorite Kevin Sorbo movies, it's, it's, it's stupid fun. It's dumb fun. Is uh, based on another character created by Ron Howard. The guy who created Conan um, created another character called Call the Conqueror, and it was a 1997 movie in theaters starring Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> and he does this like oh. rock opera, you know, old Viking style, like you know, music or whatever, which was really cool. So I I I always give this movie a pass. It's so stupid, it's fun, but I like Kevin Sorbo, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he he's worked on a lot of those shows, but unfortunately, again, he passed away in nineteen, uh, sorry, in two thousand twelve of cancer. Oh. So that's all the notes I have for this episode. I have a lot of other Witchblade trivia because this episode kind of like by itself, and we kind of covered all the characters before. But uh, I wanted to get out of the way some of the things about like Joel and of course Peter Mansa, who does return coming up. He's I think in three episodes of Witchblade. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to find out a little bit more about this Black Dragon agency. You know what's funny, though? Peter's first movie is, uh, sorry, first appearance in anything, his debut, if you want to call it, was in a Nancy, uh, was on an episode of the Nancy Drew TV series from the 90s, Aww. which we are currently now in the revival of Nancy Drew in a very Riverdale-style way. <laughs> That's all we have for this episode of The Witchblade. We're only covering one episode for this episode, but we will be doing two episodes per podcast. We'd like to thank you for tuning in. Check out Dead TV Podcast on Facebook. Check out us on at ChrisDSAV and at ElegantlyKinky on on Twitter. Also, check out the rest of the shows I do on the RadioHorror.com website. We're going to be on Witchblade for the next several months, so hopefully you're a big fan of the comic book. We posted this on Reddit. A lot of people responded pretty well on the Image Comics Reddit um, to see somebody covering the Witchblade TV series, because they also mentioned it's the 25th anniversary of the character. So Awesome. Yeah. I'm reading them one by one. <laughs> 1 to 25, then 80 to 100. I'd also recommend reading in between those the Witchblade Tomb Raider crossovers, because those are a lot of fun, but they're definitely more Tomb Raider-centric than Witchblade. Okay. There's at least cool. three I crossovers, I think, between Witchblade and Laura Croft, so... No, no... Yeah, yeah the, the crossover of the tight-skinned, big-boobed characters, because they were all drawn exactly the same way. I mean, Sarah and 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 Laura really didn't look that much different. <laughs> Just don't Google Laura Croft, Sarah Pizzini, 
images online, you might find some stuff that is not child or work safe appropriate. Ah, not safe work, yes. Yes. <laughs> Especially on Deviant Art. Let me tell you, the Witchblade Deviant Art stuff that's out there, holy cow. <laughs> I can believe it, you know. Oh it's my god. <laughs> oh wow. I'm shocked I haven't found Witchblade porn yet. I'm sure it's out there. I am too. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Good night. Mm-hmm.